0: You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And today I'm joined by a special guest uh, here to discuss the latest breaking news, which is uh, President Trump's decision to cancel the June 12th summit in Singapore with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And joining me today is Adam Mount, a colleague of mine at the Federation of American Scientists. Adam, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm a little... Uh, (laughs) Shell-shocked.
0: Well, Adam, uh, we have a lot to talk about and not too long to do it. But before we get into today's conversation, do you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them what you work on.
1: Uh, Sure. I am a senior fellow and director of the Defense Posture Project at FAS. Um, I work on U.S. nuclear force structure and strategy uh, and increasingly on North Korea almost full-time.
0: Yeah. uh, In fact, a lot of our listeners might have seen Adam quoted or on TV. He's been out there doing a lot of press on the uh, incredible bout of diplomacy we've had in 2018 on the Korean Peninsula. And a lot of that might be coming to an end soon, at least the US North Korea like. So Adam, um, President Trump, uh, I think we're recording this podcast less than an hour after the White House's frankly ridiculous letter canceling the summit with Kim Jong Un became public. What's your what's your first take here?
1: Uh, my first take has been that uh, this was always an expected possibility for North Korea, if not their outright objective. Um, given that Trump is walking away from the table first, uh, it makes North Korea look like the more responsible party to Seoul and to Beijing. And that means they can reap a number of very substantial benefits, um, possibly including sanctions relief, uh, including increased damage to the U.S.-South Korea alliance uh, and to, to say nothing of the fact that they get to keep their nukes. They don't have to go through the pretense of denuclearization.
0: hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I frankly think the process of how we got here is pretty ridiculous. Um, I mean, I can I can, you know, if I had to kind of mark a single moment that momentum really shifted towards the summit becoming significantly less likely. Um, I would chalk it up to the president's off-the-cuff remark last week on Libya, to be frank. Um, And I don't know if you agree with that or not, but really, I mean, here's how it kind of goes in my head. You know, Trump makes that remark about Libya. For our listeners that maybe aren't aware, so Trump conflated the 2003 and 2011, quote-unquote, Libya models. His national security advisor, John Bolton, had been talking about a— about a uh, 2003-style disarmament deal where North Korea turns over the keys to its nuclear program so John Bolton could uh, lock away their uh, nukes in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Obviously, that was never going to happen, but Trump, uh, meanwhile, took the Libya model talk to imply a uh, 2011-style intervention um, at the behest of uh, U.S. air power, which led to Muammar Gaddafi, the Libyan leader's end, which is how North Korea sees Talk of the Libya model all along. And then, you know, right. after after Trump makes that comment, Mike Pence has to go out and defend him because that's how this administration works. Um, the president can say anything he wants off the cuff based in fact or not. And then his surrogates have to go out there and defend him on cable TV. But obviously the North Koreans... Um, The North Koreans are savvy. They know the United States. They're watching Fox News. Uh, Mike Pence doesn't get to go out there and perform for an audience of one. He doesn't just get to perform for President Trump. He's performing for Kim Jong Un. And when the vice president says that, yes, uh, Trump was right, if North Korea doesn't make a deal with us in Singapore, we're going to Libya 2011 them. Um, that's really the end of it. And that's, you know, what led to the statement yesterday from Cho Sun-hui, the vice minister at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, one of North Korea's top people working on the United States, which is precisely what the White House cited today in its decision to cancel the summit. So for me, there's a pretty straight line here that begins with John Bolton pulls through um, and, you know, what you said about the expectations, too. Uh, But let me ask you, Adam, I mean, is this, you know, you said some of the reasons why this is not a very good thing, but You know, a lot of us have been pretty hesitant about this whole diplomatic process. Um, If you had to find a silver lining here, um, is it perhaps a good thing that, you know, Trump canceled this summit in a way that lets him save face somewhat? You know, this is, I think, personally, a better outcome than him showing up on June 12th and realizing that Kim Jong-un's not there to turn the keys over to his program. What do you think?
1: I think that there is some benefit in uh, canceling the summit. Uh, Several American analysts have warned that, uh, including you and me, uh, have warned that summit preparations had been rushed, uh, that the Trump administration had not prepared adequately for the technical discussions they were about to enter into. They had not laid the proper groundwork with our allies. Uh, Robert Kelly, uh, BBC dad, uh, <laughs> has been particularly forthright about this uh, about this point. He has sort of outright called for the summit to be canceled. Uh, I don't, given the circumstances of the cancellation, I think it's more downside than upside. I think North Korea comes out way ahead. Um, given that Trump said that the summit was being canceled because of rhetoric, uh, it, you know, it makes him look petty and makes it look like a pretense. Right. Um, you know, the, if the summit preparations had been going well, Trump would have gained more latitude and more leverage for brinksmanship. But now, you know, given the circumstances, uh, I think it's all downside. So, you mentioned that there's a straight line from the Libya comment, and I think that's plausible. But really, the Libya comment was the latest in a long pattern of mismanagement uh, of this process, where Trump administration officials had been contradictory about denuclearization. Trump administration officials had uh, frequently slighted the South Koreans. Um, you know, famously, um, foreign minister Kong came to the United States, came to Washington and was, uh, met by Ivanka Trump rather than a senior administration official. That's downright insulting. And, you know, now that only sort of adds to the costs and the, and the risks of this action.
0: Right, right. Um, You know, let's talk a bit about the alliance aspect. I know you've been thinking a lot about this. You had a great piece on Axios looking at the uh, state of the US South Korea alliance as uh, President Moon uh, visited Washington this week. Um, So here, you know, uh, in front of me, I have a tweet from uh, Anna Fifield at the Washington Post uh, who has gotten comment from the Blue House who say that they've been entirely blindsided by Trump's decision to cancel the summit. Um, I mean, that to me is really, really bad and unacceptable. you know, this is how you effectively help North Korea, um, you know, wedge the alliance. I mean, the Blue House feels like, uh, I guess, you know, I mean, President Moon must have left feeling like he'd made his message clear on phase denuclearization. I mean, Trump even, I think, gave an interview recently to Fox News, um, maybe this morning, even saying right. that, you know, maybe we'll we'll see that, you know, phase denuclearization could be a thing. Um, so where does the alliance go from here? Um, I mean, things have been really uncomfortable lately. I'd be eager for your thoughts
1: on that. Things have been very uncomfortable since uh, Donald Trump took office and even before. Uh, Donald Trump has had a blind spot for South Korea, even more than other allies. Uh, so you may remember um, the summer before he was elected, uh, he gave a, an interview with David Sanger of The New York Times uh, in which he suggested that South Korea could go nuclear mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they in Japan could be left to their own devices if they didn't pay up. So he's thought of the alliance as more of as a protection racket. Um, since then, there's been an almost unbroken series of slights and insults. Um, you know, late the the latest example was when Moon Jae-in came to Washington and had a two-hour grip and grin with the president and then was hustled out the door. Um You know, the fact that the South Korean national security advisor um, was sort of literally kicked to the curb to announce that Donald Trump had accepted the summit. Um, You know, these are very deep blows to an alliance that's critical, critical for managing this challenge. Anything the United States wants to do with North Korea um, on military and deterrence aspects, but also um, economic sanctions starts in Seoul. And the president has not understood the value of the alliance with Seoul. And and today's, you know, today's summit, or excuse me, today's development really only underscores the importance of the north-south rapprochement process, the Panmunjom process, what Seoul calls the peace regime. If that were still in place and uh, intact, you know, there would be something for us to fall back on. Um, Now you know, it looks like we could be right back at the brink of war. You know, for your listeners, that process has seemed to have foundered in recent days as um, North Korea has been piling abuse on its southern neighbor. Um, They have been, uh, they've sort of canceled a planned meeting in the North-South process, uh, criticized Seoul for um, joint U.S. rock exercises. Um, And so that Process really does now look endangered, and Donald Trump, in with the Moon meeting, neglected to support that process. Um, most American presidents would have uh, given given a firm statement of support for that process. Said that um, we will insist on um, continued good relations with um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with South Korea, with continued rapprochement, with continued um, progress on conventional disarmament. Uh, and economic, you know, ties. Uh, instead, Trump seemed to sort of ignore the fact that North Korea has been bullying his ally. And, and so that, it, it, it really risks long-term permanent damage to the um, U.S. Rock Alliance in ways that um, are, you know, difficult to foresee. It could redraw the political map of Northeast Asia, or at least the strategic map um it's it's really a a shocking development that is not getting enough attention
0: no absolutely um i think that was a really comprehensive overview you know this process of decoupling that a lot of analysts have been talking about i think um is is really in full swing and we see a lot of evidence of that um you know the future um in terms of you know i want to end the podcast with a discussion of what might come next um and one of the big question marks is what happens to the panmunjom process i think for the north koreans while intra-Korean peace does have some appeal, ultimately um, this isn't 2007. This isn't 2000. Um, any kind of economic payoff for Kim Jong Un's new strategic line will require sanctions relief at the UN Security Council, and the stepping stone to that was going to be a good diplomatic process with the United States. Now that that effectively seems to have been wiped off the table, um, what Moon Jae-in can offer North Korea is significantly more limited. Um, and you know, uh, you know, Kim has other benefits here. I mean. Um, like you said, he can still work at uh, wedging the alliance that uh, is doing a mighty good job of wedging itself at this moment. Um, but uh, I think you know that's one of my big uh, question marks about what happens next. You know, to briefly bring in uh, Japan, the other important U.S. ally in Northeast Asia, I have to think that Prime Minister Abe at least is um, sighing a breath of relief. Um, I think the Japanese were really uncomfortable with the direction in which. This summit was heading, um and potentially, you know, a deal that really entirely would overlook Japan's interests. So, um I can't say that the Japanese will be too upset by today's news. What do you think?
1: I, I think that's right. The Japanese have taken a much harder line than South Korea. Um, they've been skeptical of the process from the start, as you say. Um, I, I think they will probably see this as a vindication. Um, the circle around Prime Minister Abe may even see this as, um Donald Trump accepting their advice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a maybe that's a small silver lining here at least. Um you know, one, you know speaking of silver linings, um for for those of us that had worried about the summit process falling apart, uh the big question was who does Trump blame? Um, and I think we're sort of right. getting a theory of the White House's take on why this summit isn't going to happen. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, we saw hints of this coming out of Trump um, before Moon's visit. Even, you know, he said, oh, we might not meet on June 12th. That's looking less certain. You know, I think the reality was starting to set up, um, set in for the president um, after North Korea's statement from uh, Kim Kwan um blasting John Bolton and saying that we don't intend to offer our nuclear weapons up. I think Trump really understood what the summit was going to be about. Um, and for me, I mean, the White House statement does read like a face-saving way out. I mean, the worst thing that, you know, Chosun Hui's statement did was call Mike Pence a, uh, you know, a political dummy and threaten a nuclear-to-nuclear standoff. Uh, right. And, you know, my worry is that Trump's going to take that literally and we end up going back to, you know, we, we effectively pick up the string where we left off on uh, November 28th with the launch of the Hwasong-15.
1: Well, right. You have also noted that um, in Trump's letter, there is a veiled nuclear threat. So in the last two days, we are now back to trading nuclear threats.
0: Right. Right. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the North Koreans really get a vote here. Uh, You know, I mean, we haven't really talked about this. I thought we were going to talk about this when we scheduled this podcast, the closure of the nuclear site. What that means. We don't have time to get into that right now. Um, But the North Koreans have a vote. Uh, You know, part of me worries that the North Koreans are going to feel like a a stiffed, you know, Trump organization contractor. You know, they turned over the three American (laughs) detainees. They closed their nuclear site. Um, I mean, you know, the nuclear site closure, I think the North Koreans have been quite clear about this, was not done for the United States. They've been doing that as part of their own kind of like weird NPT Article 6 kind of process that, you know, we're a peace-loving nuclear power and we want to see a world free of nuclear weapons kind of thing. Um, But, you know, they've taken these steps now. Um, My, you know, I think... What's also interesting here is that Kim Jong-un is going to face uh, internal um, pressure. From not only the KPA, but from hardliners around him who will want to, you know, have their proud country show off its treasured sword. I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised if we go back to seeing missile tests, short range missiles. Maybe they won't go with ICBMs because they have set in place a um, a voluntary moratorium. North Korea has broken moratorium like this in the past, but it usually yep. takes longer than a few months. Right. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a pukuk 2 or something fly off in a few days um, to show that, you know, they're... Um, They're still here. They've got their treasured sword. Uh, But really, you know, the North Koreans get a vote here. Uh, I think a lot of what happens will depend on what they do next.
1: Right. I I think that's right. But notice that North Korea has uh, a couple of uh, rather appealing options in front of it. It could restart the Panmunjom process, um, use it as a shield against the Boltons and other hardliners in the Trump administration that would like to take us back to the brink of war um, or even past it. Uh, You know, and so by restarting the Panmunjom process, uh, South Korea could deny access to um, U.S. expeditionary forces and strike forces. Um, North Korea could drive that wedge deeper into the fissures that have formed in the the U.S. Rock Alliance um, and keep themselves safe. The other option is to return to nuclear and missile testing, as you say. I would not be surprised to see... um, Additional tests in the coming weeks and months. Um, you know, as as you know, North Korea has several objectives for their testing program that it would like to complete. They've not fully demonstrated um, reentry vehicle technology. They can improve the accuracy and reliability of their systems. And as you know, they have new systems that they would like to test. So, really, Donald Trump was in this. He had caused a nuclear and missile test freeze at a pretty important time in the North Korean testing cycle. And so to let them off that hook now, uh, you know, it, it it's all upside for North Korea. It's a fielder's choice. They can do what they want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the only other thing I would point out is that um, ideologically, the North Koreans have been pretty clear that um, with the you know, strategic forces completed, quote unquote. You know, obviously, I don't think Kim Jong Un is completely happy with the state of his strategic forces. They are shifting over to this new strategic line, looking at economic, um, betterment, and that really was the biggest pressure point for the United States in many ways. And that's kind of been lost to the wind now. Um, and certainly the administration didn't really seem to get what the North Koreans were looking for, um, especially with uh, you know, Mike Pompeo's kind of offer that was very, um, at least to me, reminiscent of the Bush administration's offers in the. In the early 2000s, um, right. But Adam, I think you know this is um, this is a lot of uh, good food for thought today. Um, thanks for joining me for this emergency podcast.
1: Thank you. Glad yeah, to
0: help. Absolutely. Um, I'll let you get back with your day, and uh, you know, I'm hoping to uh, have you back on to talk about North Korea with me some other time.
1: Yeah, talk to you soon. I'll be following following your tweets
0: for our listeners. Thanks for listening, as always. If you're a subscriber to the show, but you haven't left us a review yet, please do so. And if you like what you hear on the show, but you haven't subscribed yet, please do so too. Uh, It'll help you keep up with future episodes. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back next week with more.